You are listening to South Niagara Conversations, a podcast presented by the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, along with 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM. Well, hello, and thanks to everyone who's joined us for our South Niagara Conversation Series. For those of you who are tuning in from afar, we represent the communities of Fort Erie, Niagara Falls, Port Coburn, Waynefleet, Welland, and Pelham. We're located in Southern Ontario, no better place to live, work, or play. Joining me today is my guest co-host, Jeff Ryder. Good morning, Jeff. How are you this morning? Good morning, Dolores. I'm very well, thank you. The sun is shining. It's a little chilly on a fall morning, but all is good. I got out there at 6.30 for my walk, and it was chilly. Very, very chilly. Uh, This morning, we have a really juicy conversation lined up. We're going to be talking about the state of politics, how the role of politicians has changed, the impact of social media to the role, and some general observations about what we saw during the recent federal election. We have an amazing panel joining us for the conversation. Jeff, let's get to it. Who do we have joining us this morning? Yes, this morning we welcome back Dave Meslin. Sorry, Dave. Dave Meslin, author of Teardown, Rebuilding Democracy from the Ground Up, Mayor Wayne Redicott, Mayor of the Town of Fort Erie, and Kevin Vallier, Executive Director of Farm Fresh Ontario and founder of the Niagara Independent. Mayor Redicott, you're a longtime politician, having served uh, or first served on town council in 1991 to 1994 then as mayor from 1997 to 2006, and again as mayor from 2014 to present day. Why did you get into politics all those years ago? The direct answer is I'd always had an interest in politics, but uh, between 1994 and 1997, when I wasn't um, an elected official, I was appointed to the Town of Fort Erie Library Board, and you may recall that in uh, the late 80s, the Liberal government of Ontario had implemented pay equity legislation. So we were going through the pay equity um, process at the library. And um, I knew all of the members of council and uh, very well. And they gave us a hard time in approving our uh, pay equity plan, which highlighted the fact that women, particularly well-educated women, working in our society were vastly underpaid. So I figured uh, um, if I'm going to um, make this thing happen, I'm gonna have to run for politics. So that's why I ran in 1991. I guess, yeah, I guess my memory here is a little off. So that was the late eighties. That's why I ran for council in 91. And uh, that got me, you know, that, that whetted my appetite for elected office. And up until that time, I'd always thought that, you know, maybe I'd be interested in provincial or federal politics, but um, I'm thoroughly convinced that the most democratic form of government, the one that best meets the ideals of democracy, although it's still a, a long way off, is local politics, because you're, you're, um, working among the people that you represent. You see them every day. You can't go anywhere without encountering those that you represent. And um, you know, that's always been a good thing. And to me, that's why local government is typically the most um, efficient, simply because uh, we have to be, because we're, we're, we're so um, close to those individuals that we're trying to serve 
Plus, we can see the, the things that we're doing because we are the level of government that most directly affects the lives of those that we serve. We're, we're working on the roads, the sewers, the parks, the libraries, all of the things that um, affect people's daily lives. So sorry for the long answer, but um, I have a propensity to, <laughs> to, to, to give long answers. Sorry. That was a great answer. Kevin and, Kevin and Dave, their turns too. That was a great answer. And you know what? You're, you're, you're so right. You, you made such a great point. It is, you know, those local level, the municipal level is the closest level of government to the people. And I always get a little nervous when, you know, there's there's movements to, to, to make it bigger and a little more removed from the people, because um, I, I think in my mind, that's a very dangerous thing. Dave, I know you're itching to get into this. I could see your eyes, you know, <laughs> getting big as, as Mayor Redekop was talking. Weigh in. I, I'm sure you have lots to, um, to say. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, I'm very jealous to hear of what local democracy feels like in a, in a place that actually has it. Because in our, in our larger cities, um, a politician can easily go about town and no one will know who they are. They, and they, they, they won't interact with their residents because each ward in a place like Toronto, you represent about 170,000 people as a, as a local councillor. So it's more like being, um, I guess, yeah, it, it kind of r removes the local feel of it. Um, whereas in, in smaller towns, you know, you're, you, you, you are likely to bump into your councillor or mayor uh, at the grocery store. Um, the other thing that, that's great about local politics, and we're very lucky to have this in Ontario, it's, it's actually, it's more rare than people realize is that we don't have political parties at the local level, which is probably the, what makes it the most democratic. If you bump into your member of parliament at the grocery store, that's great. But no matter what you say to them, and no matter how persuasive you are on any issue, at the end of the day, their vote is whipped. <laughs> they don't actually have a, an independent vote. Whereas if you bump into a city councillor or a mayor in any town in Ontario, they truly are an independent politician that has to make up their own mind, yes or no, on every single vote. Um, Vancouver has political parties at the local level. Montreal has parties at the local level. Most of the United States has Democrats and Republicans and other labor affiliations at the, at the local level. Um, our municipal councils are incredible in the in their in their characteristic of being nonpartisan legislatures. I would say the Toronto City Council is the largest nonpartisan legislature um, in North America. It's mm -hmm. just absolutely incredible. So I, you know, we should we should cherish that and um, realize how fortunate we are to have that and. What a great contrast to the federal election we just had, where I'll bet most people today don't even know the name of their MP. They voted for a color. They voted for red or blue or orange or green. We've completely neutered the role of the House of Commons and the legislative branch almost doesn't even exist anymore in terms of its original design of functionality. You know, 338 people who would listen to each other and talk to each other, that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Well, well, that's another interesting, this, this is going to be such a good conversation. So Kevin, I want to bring you in because, uh, you know, Dave says there's no partisan politics at the local level. I think we, we have kind of seen a little bit of that. 
um, at the local level? You want to get a little easier way? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no question. I think there is. I mean, I think Dave's right. Um, you know, it's it's probably better and worse in different communities, um, for sure. And 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 I think you know it's best to not have those political those those you know, red, orange, blue attachments at the municipal regional level. And I will say one thing, and I'm not just saying this because the mayor's on the call, you know, Mayor Redekop and, and there's a few others around the, the regional council table, what I've watched, um, what I'm impressed with is, you, you know, you could watch 20 regional council uh, meetings and, and, you know, Mayor Redekop, for example, I, I have no idea whether he leans right, left, down the middle, um, orange, red, blue, because he, 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 I think, in my humble opinion, does what's best for Niagara, does what's best for the town of Fort Erie. And I think that's, that's what we need. You know, there's a, there's a lot of talk of a conservative cabal um, a few years ago. Um, you know, to be frank, I think there's been a liberal cabal in the past. Uh, and, it, you know, so one side maybe gets played up more in, in local media than the other. Um, but, you know, I, I, I agree. I think it's really, um, you know, politics at that municipal level, at the regional level is, is, is grassroots and it's where you can really get things done that, that impact people directly. You're, you're, you know, you're making sure there's clean water, you're, you're building bridges, you're fixing roads, you're collecting garbage, you're plowing snow, you know, you're, um, you're just doing those things that I think touch people's daily lives and, and can, you know, hopefully improve them um, every day. And, and like the mayor said, you can, you know, Dave touched on it too. You, you can meet people in the grocery store and have conversations about things that, you know, the mayor can go back to his office and talk to staff and say, you know, look, I bumped in the constituent and we need to fix this. Um, here's something we gotta, we gotta get on. People can uh, email, you know, counselors directly, uh, which may or may not be a good thing. <laughs> I'm sure the, the mayor loves most of his emails and, and some maybe not so much, but, um, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really, you know, a friend of mine, Mark Tui, uh, was chief of staff to, to Rob Ford and, you know, he, he just loved, uh, you know, the municipal politics. He loved just getting into those issues that affects people's lives on, on a daily basis. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it could Niagara maybe use a fewer local politicians, perhaps um, that's probably a whole other conversation for <laughs> different road Dolores, but um, you know, I'm not sure it needs to be kind of slashed and burned like, like, uh, like some people, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's some efficiencies to be had there, but um yeah, it is unfortunate. I think when when the political stripes creep down, uh, and I don't mean down disrespectfully, I just mean sort of that federal, provincial, regional, municipal, when they creep down into that level of politics, because I, you know, I don't, I don't think it serves the local constituents well. And and you know, one last comment, I do find it frustrating when you watch regional council, for example, where you you know, there's kind of that low hanging. Um, you know, media headline, political fruit that can be grabbed. And, and it, but normally those aren't things that are regional or municipal in, in issue. And I think that's another way that the provincial federal politics creeps into regional municipal politics is, you know, you'll have a 
counselors stand up and say, we, you know, I want to advocate for, I don't know, national uh, pharma care, national child care, all these sorts of things. And I'm thinking, well, yes, who, who doesn't want that? But that's not your job. And I get that that's going to get a nice headline in the next day's paper. But there are a lot of issues in, you know, downtown St. Catharines or, you know, pick a community mm-hmm. um, that politicians on the local level can have a huge impact in, in correcting and fixing and improving. And so it, it irritates me a bit when I see some of those, those federal provincial um, uh, issues creep into, you know, regional uh, and, and local politics. Cause frankly, I think sometimes it's a bit grandstanding and, like I said, there's a lot of other issues that that need to be addressed that are very important. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure, can I, I just I, say that I, oh. I really appreciate Kevin's comments, uh, and I was with you all the way, Kevin, until you mentioned fewer politicians. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that was coming. I knew it. Simply because, simply because, most elected officials in in Niagara at the local level are paid a, a pittance. I think in Fort Erie, it's $14,000 per year per counselor. Uh, the amount of time and energy that they put in is well, well worth the value. And I think that that's typical right across the board. If, if I had my choice and I was going to eliminate any politicians, I would eliminate regional government, but that's a whole different story. And that <clears throat> that may be unrealistic. So I didn't mean to butt in, but I just no, wanted no, to fair enough. mention uh, that. And, uh, and, and only provincial. Sorry, but the idea about the cabal, um, I, I was there um, the last term, and uh, Kevin's quite right. There was a mixture. There were, there were Tories, there were Liberals. Um, it was all, so, so you couldn't break it down by, by political party. You could break it down perhaps by, by interests, who, who was interested in advancing a particular agenda, um, many things. And I also wanted to mention to Dave that I've read your book, um, I thought there were parts of it that were a little cynical um, and there were parts that I didn't think spoke to the smaller municipality experience, sure. but um, um, and some of the, some, and parts of it I thought were a little radical, but um, Hey, you're the guy with the pen and the ink. So you wrote the book. <laughs> I just get to criticize it. <laughs> Thanks for reading it. Um, no, it's you a know, good one, book. It's, it's, thank you. It's a good book. It is thank a good you. book. Um, so when it comes to partisan alignment on municipal councils, absolutely, in, in every town, municipality, city, there are councillors who everyone knows is a card-carrying member of the Liberals or Conservatives or Greens or whatever. And yeah, sometimes they'll act as a bit of a, a, a clique. But the difference is no one's whipping their vote. So if you look at the House of Common vote records or Queen's Park, you'll find that if there's like 23 liberals or 47 conservatives, they vote every single time as a unit without exception. Canada has the highest rate of parliamentary discipline in the entire Westminster universe. Um, Whereas, sure, there might be a cluster of small C or even capital C conservatives on a rural council but you can still sway the, those individual people on individual votes because they're not, um, they're not, there's no mechanisms to force them to vote a certain way. So when I say nonpartisan, I don't mean that there aren't allegiances 
but what really destroys politics provincially and federally and has literally made our elected representatives almost obsolete is the degree to which party whips have so much power and all decision-making has really been concentrated into the office of one person, the prime minister and the premier, which was the exact opposite of how um, our system was designed. Parliamentary democracy was created as a response to monarchy, right? We, we, we toppled kings. We literally cut their heads off and then tried to create something that would look and feel completely different, um, having a legislative branch that was supreme. And we've essentially gone back to a unitary executive branch, which is really sad, I think. So, so there's a lot to unpack there. And, you know, the reality is that when in Canada, when, when uh, the country was created, there were political parties. So parliament has always had political parties. And, but in the United States, they didn't so much have political parties. There were, yeah. there, as you know, the states had pretty much the say on who went to Congress as a, as a representative or, or senator. The problem is that with organizations like government, you're destined to, to um, arrive at a point where you've got political parties. Yeah. And so that's one reality. And the reality is when people vote, if they're voting red, blue, green, orange, they know what the agenda is. So they, they should know in a general way what the direction the country is going in when they vote. That's a distinct issue from the power of the chief executive. And yeah. that's something that you're quite right. That has gone far beyond what was ever intended. And the concentration of power in the parliamentary, um, in the prime minister's office is really, um, I think, detrimental. I, I entirely agree with you on that. That's the challenge. Take away power from the prime minister and give more power to the members of parliament. Um, that, that can be done, but, <clears throat> you know, that would require a group of parliamentarians to say, hey, you know what? We're going to pass legislation. We're going to shift power from the prime minister to us. I can They've done that a bit. Work. They, they yeah, did that when they supported Michael Chong's Reform Act um, four or five years ago, which passed the House of Commons and the Senate. But it was really watered down by the end. Yeah. But it, yeah. it, but it, did, yeah. it did decentralize some of the power. So to me, that's the, that's the real point, because... You're right. The, it's not so much the political party piece, I think, that's problematic. It's the yeah. concentration of power in the, in the prime minister's office that is the problem, yeah. in my well, view. Since we're, we're talking about the prime minister's office, um, Dave, you, you said in your book that democracy is a train wreck. That's what you said. <laughs> and that voters are increasingly... Very cynical. Very yeah, cynical. very cynical. Uh, turning towards the angriest candidates or simply tuning out completely and staying home. This year, we actually saw very angry crowds. People, people threw rocks at our prime minister. And, and by the way, that's not okay to do to anyone, including our prime minister. What is going on? We're Canadians. Like, what is going on? Well, lots of things are going on. And I'm I'm glad we'll be talking about social media because, um, you know, that probably is playing a big role right now. Um, I mean, that whole election was unnecessary. I think everyone agrees on that. Um, the prime minister would probably agree with that now looking back as well. Um, I don't think he really gained much out of it. Um, 
I think in general, I mean, so the, the largest voting block uh, um, in the election, as, as usual, was the, was the group of people who stayed home. So to me, you know, the, the most important indicator, you know, you, you can look at, at our society as having two markets. There's the monetary marketplace where we vote with our dollars and there's the political marketplace where we vote with our ballots. And in both cases, you want them to be really vibrant. You want to have a lot of consumer confidence. You want to have consumer participation. You want to have innovation. You want to have startup companies and new ideas and new voices. We're missing all of that in the political side, all of it. We're essentially stuck with the same two companies operating as a cartel as our grandparents had. And consumer confidence is always at really, really low level. So, you know, what I argue for in the book and in my life is really that we should hold our political landscape to the same expectation that we hold our, our um, economic landscape, where we want, we want people participating. And we know that the best way to increase participation is by having consumer choice, having a vibrant marketplace, and encouraging new voices and startups and even market disruption, where like new players enter the field and shake things up. And you could look at any product. Let's, let, let's take beer, for example. You know, what's been so exciting the last 20 years is all these little small, you know, microbreweries and uh, what's it called? Like uh, small batch art beer. And essentially, when I get my ballot, it looks to me like it's just Molson and Labatt. And it's going to be, you know, the, the, the winner is going to be blue or red. And it's these two parties trading power back and forth for 150 years. And I don't blame people for being bored and being frustrated and feeling like the system is um, uninspiring and just tuning it out. Mm -hmm. I, I have to drag myself to the polling station myself. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I really want to dig a little deeper into this. I, I know even from you know our chamber perspective, we're we're always tasked with you know hosting debates and 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 trying to get our members engaged. And it's painful. It is so hard. You know, we try and come up with different ways to engage people. We we this year, you know, it was virtual, of course. Um, but we just don't have that same level of, of uh, excitement, engagement that we, we had 20 years ago. Um, and I don't know how we get that back. And, and I don't know how, how we get other players to the table. You know, the, there are other parties there. They just never get any traction. And I don't know how, you know, um, how we get more on, on, on the ballot. Uh, Kevin, you, you've run campaigns in the past. Uh, I know that, you know, you, you understand this better than most. Um, I'm going to throw it over to you. Yeah, thanks. I don't know if I understand it better than most, but I, you're right. I mean, I have been involved. Um, and, and I, you know, I, somebody I know is Dave or, or the mayor mentioned social media. And I, I think over the years that's played a huge part in, in no other reason than it's created all of this noise, you know, um, before that, I think we did talk more about the issues in, in terms of, you know, party platform and, and what, what parties are going to, you know, proposing to do for the economy and, and for healthcare and education or whatever the case may be. Um, and now it's just, it's just such a, a, a a dirty sport and it's it's the gotcha politics uh, i don't think the media 
necessarily helps whether it's mainstream or, or not. Um, and, and I, I mean, I, I tip my cap to anybody who, who puts their name on a ballot because it's just, I don't know who would want to. And it's a shame, you know, I mean, we, we went through that period uh, maybe a decade ago and I don't know if it were, where, you know, people talked about, we want to, you know, sort of the, the common person, a person of the people and, and somebody who understands, you know, uh, the average Joe kind of thing. And I used to kind of shake my head and think, no, if this person's running the country. I want the, you know, I want the, the person with the Harvard MBA that's run a multi-billion dollar corporation that, you know, or, or the person that's got a PhD in, in whatever, you know, male, female, doesn't matter. In fact, it'd be great to have a, you know, female, female prime minister to, to lead this country. But, you know, I just, I, I think the, it's, it's a, just such a dirty sport. Um, there's so much nonsense on social media. Um, it must be incredibly frustrating as a politician to kind of try and filter your way and swim your way through all of that noise to, to actually get to the real issues that people want to know about and want to hear about. Uh, I, mean, I mean, the train is so far down the track in, in terms of that, that I don't know how we kind of walk it back or how you control it. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get away from essentially a two-party system. I know there's, you know, the, the NDP and the Greens uh, as well. <clears throat> and, you know, they kind of make strides one election and they seem to kind of stumble and fall back or they, they're, they stall. Uh, so it ends up, as Dave said, sort of the, the two longstanding political parties that kind of duke it out uh, closer to election day. But it... Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it is frustrating. I mean, I, you know, I, I still think it's important for everybody to vote. I think it's sad when you look at the number of people as, as Dave said, that, that don't vote. Um, I, you know, I sort of rolled my eyes when the, the prime minister and uh, paraphrasing here, but I think it was the day after election, he, you know, thanked the Canadians for, thank Canadians for giving him a mandate to, to move forward. And I'm thinking a mandate, like 70% of this country did not vote for you. <laughs> you know, you got roughly 30% of the vote. I'm not sure that's a mandate. Um, and that's, that's out of the people who voted. Yeah, exactly. So if, if, if voter turnout was, let's say around 60, so he, he, you know, he's, he has a, he has a mandate or an expression of support from maybe 20% of the population. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it is. It's just it's frustrating. Yeah, there's there's a lot in what you just said. Participating business of the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, an amazing online presence for you has arrived. NiagaraGiftCards.com is a website for you to sell your business's gift cards and receive 100% of the proceeds. Increase your digital presence and build your business. Join the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce six-month pilot project for free today. Visit NiagaraGiftCards.com to learn more and to fill out the sign-up sheet. The South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, helping businesses grow. Um, so I, th I think it's changed so much. And, and, and Jeff, if um, the rest of you don't know, Jeff's dad um, was the mayor of Welland for nine years, I think it was. Uh, great mayor. Um, and, and I remember when he was mayor, you, you know, you, you took your, your hits in the local paper. There were letters to the editor um, and people could respond. And, you know, sometimes there was some really outrageous stuff and it was critical. Uh, that was what almost 30 years ago. 
now it's every day you get hammered on social media and it's personal attacks. And I think that's why, you know, there are so many people who just would never consider running. Um, and I think that there were issues this time around in the election in getting candidates um, to, to run in certain ridings. I think it was a struggle. Um, Jeff, uh, do you want to add anything to that? Well, yeah, I mean, we've touched on so many um, I know. interesting topics and areas. And, you know, we talk about the two main parties, the green or the red, and then we how it can filter down to municipal politics. But what's interesting to me is the fact that we actually have more parties at the federal level now than we did say 50 years ago or what have you. And I think as a result of that, we're ending up with these minority governments at the federal level. And, um, you know, the last election showed the liberals moving more to the left. I, I don't think we can argue that. And even the progressive conservatives moving more to the left. So we've got more parties and there's a definite shift and, we're ending up with a minority government. So are all of these things, you know, are we gonna see more of that in the future? Are we gonna have difficulty electing a majority government? Um, that, that to me is a very interesting topic in the change of politics. And I don't know who wants to jump in on that. But. I'd like to jump in quickly here. Cause I mean, we can't be talking about all this stuff without talking about the, the voting system we use in Canada. So we are the only member of the OECD that uses first past the post for all three levels of government. We're, we're kind of an, an outlier amongst outliers. And every problem we've talked about in the last 15 minutes, um, we've never had an elected female prime minister. There's a lot of polarization, only two parties, low, low turnout. So many of these things are a product of our voting system. So if you look at Western democracies that use more modern or normal voting systems that give you results that actually reflect what you voted for, you'll find that there's multiple parties, way more than two. They're working together collaboratively. They have fewer elections because there's less of a mathematical um, incentive to roll the dice and go back to the polls because you're pretty much going to get the same thing you got the year before. And there's more civility and cooperation. So you could look at New Zealand, another former, you know, Commonwealth country, Westminster model. Um, they elected a majority labor government last year and the female prime minister invited the Greens to join her cabinet just for fun because she liked working with them the last time. Um, you could look at Finland, which has five parties sharing power right now in a stable coalition, all led by women all five, five female leaders. You could look at Germany, which had an election a few months ago, and they're going through a process right now of three parties working together to form a coalition government. So they don't use the term minority government in any of those countries. They assume that no party's gonna win a majority, but then they actually talk to each other and they form these coalitions. Way more women in, 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 in power, more stability, more choice, more civility. And the way forward for Canada to um, change our voting system is all about municipal. Um, I know Doug Ford banned ranked ballots last year, which was hilarious because he was elected leader of his party using a ranked ballot. But whichever party forms uh, government next in Ontario, they've all committed to bringing back the choice 
um, of municipalities like Fort Erie or anywhere else to use a ranked ballot. And I think that's where we have an opportunity to really transform the political landscape in Canada. So can I, can I just weigh in here? Because, um, you know, Dave, when you talk about uh, stable governments, um, you've failed to mention Italy or Israel, which um, has been a basic horror show in attempting to uh, stabilize their, their democracy. They have frequent elections, frequently don't accomplish anything. So, you know, sometimes we, we lose the forest for the trees. And as all of you have been speaking, and by the way, I served with Dick Ryder um, back in the day. So I knew your dad and I, I liked your dad. Um, he was very professional, very professional. Um, when I hear you guys speak, I think of the old adage, the people get the government they deserve. And that's exactly what's happening in Canada. We get the government we deserve. There have always been a multiplicity of parties. Remember the old social credit from, from Alberta? And then there was the period of time when we had the Tories, the Reform, the Liberals, the NDP. Might have, I think we had Greens maybe then as well. So that there's always been that multiplicity, but people will gravitate towards uh, what they know. And, and the reality is that there's not participation in a lot of things. You know, the, there, there's, been, there's been a real shift in society over the last 50 years. And I like to, I like to attribute a lot of the blame to the baby boomers and, and uh, the way that they raise their children and the way those children raise their children and on and on and on. And so that's not to bemoan that the current generation or the generation before that or before that um, is um, um, missing in duty. It's, it's just that, um, you know, there's, there, there's a lot more people that are quite casual about their responsibilities. And so that, you know, that's a problem to be addressed. If I were, if I were the head of a major political party, federal political party, and I wanted to change the channel, what I would do is a vast public consultation process to legitimately uh, find out from the public what it is they want. And then I would try to work on that. That's, that's an ideal that I think is far from happening because when you do public consultations, you frequently hear things that you don't want to hear. You're, you're, you're being asked to do things you maybe don't want to do. And of course, you know, the prime minister, I think in 2015, promised to change the electoral system and then somehow was able to backtrack on that uh, pretty significantly. I think he backtracked all the way to New Zealand and then didn't like what he saw and came back. Um, the reality is that if people think that that's a serious problem. They should have turned on the prime minister and his party. They didn't. And so now, um, you know, I like elections and, and I, I'm always amused by people who say that that's an unnecessary election because that happens almost every election it, it, unless it's one of those scheduled four-year elections. People will say, oh, we don't need this election. This, the reality is that we live in a democracy. People should, should um, rejoice every time we have an opportunity to pick who is going to lead us, whether it's federal, provincial, whatever. So I don't have a problem with that. Um, hopefully the politicians will learn something. One would have thought that um, Trudeau might have learned something from the fact that we went through that exercise, spent $600 million and essentially 
came back to where we started. There are lessons to be learned in that. Uh, I don't know that <laughs> the prime minister has learned any of those lessons. Um, it's also very similar to um, the election when Dalton McGuinty came back with what he called a major minority. Um, you know, he didn't obviously learn anything from that whatsoever. Um, so that's, that's the problem. And it all starts with the people. If the people don't demand something better, then they'll continue to get what we've got. And um, the idea of ranked ballots, you know, you, I, I think my view is you could, you could throw up almost any type of system and you're still going to end up with the, the winners being the winners. Although if we had a, a, a system where first past the post wasn't the, um, the model, then you're right. We would end up with a more diverse um, parliament, legislature. Um, I don't know about the local level, whether, I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate and I'm not, um, I guess I, I'm not the person to be commenting on um, bodies that aren't diverse. We have three females, we have three males. Um, we have a, a, a range of ages and experiences. And so Fortier is very fortunate right now because we've got, we've got that mix. And anybody that thinks that having diversity on your deliberative body isn't beneficial is just missing the whole point because you're starting to hear um, views from individuals who have different life experiences. And that's really what government should be all about. Not, you know, I agree with, with Kevin. Um, when, I, when I was in university and was, was studying politics, um, you know, there's this great notion that in Britain, people would prefer to have those who govern them be better educated and be more experienced, be, uh, you know, have, have greater life experiences. Um, I don't know if that still holds true because there's a lot of navel gazing nowadays and social media has really, really um, created significant problems um, where you've got this amplification of of ideas and the people here in this box are always listening to other people in this box and are yeah. amplifying that. Mm -hmm. And then there's the people in this box that don't agree. And, and so what happens is you, I mean, the, the emails that we get are somewhat extraordinary until you block them and, you know, going through the pandemic I and mean, we've just had, um, I didn't realize there were so many lunatics out there, but <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that they simply disagree with my, my worldview. I didn't realize there were so many people out there that didn't see the world the way I do. And social media, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I haven't been on Facebook now. It's got to be going on close to two months, simply because there's a lot of information there that I, that, that I think is helpful. Um, but I don't communicate with people through Facebook. I just, I've never done that. I know that there are elected officials who do, um, and uh, that's great. I get lots of emails, and I respond to all of my emails, telephone calls, I don't get any letters or very few letters, but I respond to them as well. Um, and I'll go visit people because I like to, I like to be with people. This, pa this pandemic has created a real problem for elected officials who, who are engaged in public life because we love the public. We want to be around people. We want to touch people. We want to see them and, and, and live their, their um, experiences. You can't do that on zoom. So, so it's been a real challenge, but um this is a topic, Dave, you know, your book has, has lots of suggestions and I think some of them are, are, are really good. Um, and I guess the question is, 
will the public actually take those up? Because if we're talking about a marketplace, which is what you did, you, you um, compared um, politics to the commercial market. If it is a marketplace, then the customers have to say, we don't like this product. We want to change this product. Give us a better product. And until they insist upon that, until the members of the parliament insist that they have more power and they take it away from the, the prime minister's office, those things aren't going to change. So there is a solution and the solution rests with us. So let me just ju jump in here really quickly. So, so let's talk about market share for a second. So how does a small startup microbrewery become successful? Well, they have to start very small. You have to sell your first beer and then you sell 10 and then you sell 50. And what happens in the private sector is that market share and revenue are connected. If, you, if there's a marketplace or a sector worth a million dollars in annual revenue, and you're able to somehow corner 10% of the market share, you'll get 10% of the revenue. So 100,000 bucks, and then you can grow and invest and get bigger machines. So what I wanna challenge the mayor on is this idea that people in Canada get what they vote for, because we do get the beer we order, but we don't get the politicians we vote for. A party can get 10% of the market share, which is 10% of the votes, and get zero seats easily. So that would literally be like a beer company selling 10% of the market share and not earning a single dollar. And what happens is those parties just either, um, they're never able to get the traction to grow. So in Toronto, I think the Liberals won every seat um, a few weeks ago, even though there's tons of conservative, thousands and thousands of conservative voters who went and ordered their, their blue beer and the people ordered orange beer, people ordered green beer, and all they got was red beer. So what I'm proposing is definitely not the voting system they use in Israel or Italy. They don't even have ridings. They use a purely proportional system without any ridings. I've never heard anyone pr propose or promote that for Canada. What we're talking about is hybrid systems that give that give accurate results, that give you the market share and the revenue that you earn at the ballot box while also keeping our local ridings. And those, those are the hybrid models I was talking about in, in, um, in Finland, in, um, in Sweden, in Germany, in New Zealand, in every single European country on the mainland. This is the normal way to run elections. And I agree with you. In a democracy, people get what they vote for, they get what they deserve, and if they want change, they should vote for change. That only works in, a, in an electoral system that gives revenue for market share. And you mentioned the Reform Party as well. Where's the Reform Party now? They had a merge back. Every time a new party splits off, Wild Rose, gone. Reform Party, gone. Um, people are always encouraging the NDP and the Liberals to merge because of vote splitting. We need desperately a political landscape that encourages reforms and wild roses and NDP and Greens and the Kevin party and a Jeff party and a Dolores party. We need choice variety startups. We need all votes to count. And if we do that and join the rest of the modern world, I think we'll find a political landscape that's more civil, more interesting, more participatory and more people engaging. Mm. As long as you get past the apathy of the vast number of people who don't vote. Right. And, and you're right. It could be that they're apathetic because 
they don't they don't think that they're going to like the result or they think it's a waste of time. Yeah. You know, there are some things that we could be doing in society as well to encourage people to be engaged. Yeah. Um, and until until one of the two major parties adopts the notion that they are going to change the electoral system, that's not going to happen. And, you know, if you're a liberal, um, there's absolutely no reason why you would want to change the system that favors you. And if you're a conservative, you're thinking that even if the system favors the liberals, every several years, people get tired of that group and they want another group in. And so that's what happens. I mean, don't forget, this has been going on in the United States. They haven't had a, a third party for decades and for really over 160 years, they've had the two parties uh, yeah. duking it out. Um, and of course that's Canada. Canada, you could say Canada is a mess in that regard. The United States is a mess to the 10th degree. I mean, it, yeah. it is so polarized. Um, it, it's dysfunctional. I, I legitimately fear for the future of the United States because I don't see how they extract themselves from, from a spiral. Now, my brother, who is very well educated, uh, studied politics and um, um, is of a different political bent than I am, isn't quite as pessimistic. He's, um, he's a bit more casual in, um, in his concerns. Uh, and so I frequently, I frequently will turn to his views because I, I think he's, he's smarter than I am. And I, you should always, should always um, turn to smarter people. <laughs> or could you? I, I think too, one of the biggest issues is how do you get people's attention? Uh, um, and, and Kevin, I'm, I'm gonna ask you that question, but first a quick shout out to our sponsor, the Small Bez Business Enterprise Center, City of Niagara Falls. Thank you for your support. Do you have an idea for a small business? Maybe you're trying to grow a business that you've already started. Whatever the case, the Niagara Falls Small Business Enterprise Center is a community service that is here to help. Offering entrepreneurs the tools to start and grow their businesses, the Small Business Enterprise Center is your one-stop for free business information and advice. Serving Niagara Falls and South Niagara, learn more about how we can help you and your business succeed at niagarafalls.ca slash SBEC. Kevin, how do we get people's attention? How do we get them oh, to care? And, and to add to that, is it a chicken or egg scenario? Are, right. are people upset because of our system or, or is it the system, you know? Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I think, you know, first I want to say, and I'm pretty sure everyone on this panel will agree with me, and I, I think it's important to say it, and, and there's, the irony isn't lost on me here, where, um, you know, Mayor Redekop wearing his poppy and we're six days away from, from Remembrance Day uh, and, and the brave men and women that fought that we have the opportunity to go vote and we have the opportunity to live in democracy and point. all of its boards. I think the greatest country in the world. And, and it is shameful that voter turnout is so low uh, federally, provincially, municipally. Um, and, and I think, you know, so I, I just, you know, I think I wanted to thank our, our veterans and those that are serving now because, uh, and I think it's, it's a shame that, you know, more people can't take five minutes out of their day and go to a polling station and, and mark a ballot. Um, all of the other reasons aside, you know, you should, you should be able to, to do just that. Um, you know, in terms of getting uh, attention, I, 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 
touch on what the mayor was saying and, and, and the, the polarization I think is, is a problem. And I, and I think it's, you know, the Facebook, the algorithms and social media platforms, all of them kind of run on where your, your feed, I mean, they're just feeding you everything that you, you already believe in. And, you know, when I was, you know, founded the Niagara independent, you know, small little online news site. And, you know, the, the, the comments that I received that I appreciated the most was the people that said, I don't, I don't really agree with, you know, some of the editorial pieces or, you know, I think it maybe leans too conservative or what have you, but I find it really interesting and I learned something and, and it got me thinking and, and there's just, there's not enough of that anymore. I mean, people, people used to sit down and read, you know, over coffee, they'll, they'll read the national post, the Globe and mail, the Toronto star, and then they'll form their own opinions. And, and there is a bias in every one of those, those news outlets and, and that's okay. Um, and they don't, hide from that. Right. Um, and I, and I think nowadays everyone is just driven to their camps and, and the further left that this side goes, the further right, the right goes to dig their heels in and, and it, and it, you know, started here and it just sort of keeps pushing. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'll say I'm a, a sort of a, a red Tory, if you will. Um, you know, I, I was fond of the, you know, the government with Mr. Kretschian as prime minister and Mr. Martin as, as finance minister. I thought they did a, a great job of running the country. They had a lot of tough decisions to make. They, they, you know, balanced the budget. They, they had to slash and burn in some areas and people may not have been fans of that, but once you get that spending under control, then you can re you can reinvest that money into social programs and, and giving people a, a hand up instead of a handout, so to speak. Um, and I, and I think we've we've kind of lost that. Everyone is sort of drifting. You know, I, I mean, Jeff made a good point. You could argue the conservatives actually moved further left in, in some in some places. And I think that was to get away from this this rhetoric where every election and frankly, I think it gets tiring where there's the, they just lob these um you know, cannonballs at the conservatives and they bring up abortion and gay rights and 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 it kind of gets tiring because no matter what conservative leader says, you know, those we're not going back and reopening those. Um, we're conservatives in the sense of, you know, fiscal responsibility. We're going to lower taxes. We're going to smaller government. We're going to invest in business. Um, you know, generally speaking, that's sort of what the conservatives sort of stood for, you know, a decade, 20 years ago. And, and the liberals were kind of more in the middle. And then the NDP, if that was your choice was on the left where they maybe taxes went up and they spent more, but they spent it on social programs. And, and that was their uh, philosophy. And, and, you know, all three are fine. And you can sort of kind of pick and choose where to park your vote on, on what you thought was best for the country. Um, but I think there's a lot of people that are kind of down the middle that if they liked, um, you know, the direction of, you know, say a Martin Kretschian government, they, they would park their vote there. They might have leaned a little more right, but hey, I think I like what these people are doing or, or vice versa. And I think now there's a lot of people that are, are sitting there thinking, you know, federally and provincially, uh, where's my party? You know, I I a lot of people who are card carrying liberals that say this isn't my liberal party anymore. I, I, I'm lost. I mean, they're so far left and the spending is so out of control that this isn't I don't know where to vote because I don't want to vote for the conservatives because I hear that they're so far right. 
And, and I don't want to vote for the NDP because they're never going to win. Right. So I think it, you know, it all sort of, you get this wash machine of all of these things going on and, you know, and so sorry, Dolores, I, I kind of went off on a tangent there and didn't get back to conversation. the question, but in terms of, you know, break, breaking through that noise, I, I mean, you know, you've got these big machines on, on social media that are, are, you know, controlling all of this messaging and, and, and it's, it's tough. Uh, you know, I, I still believe in the good old fashioned door knocking and, and I don't know if the parent agree with me or not, and, you know, handing that, yeah, that piece and that, you know, having the face to face conversations. And I know that's easier to do in a smaller community. And, you know, Dave talked about, you know, a riding in, in Toronto where you've got 110,000 people, obviously that's more of a challenge. Um, but, but it is, it is tough to break through that noise. And, and I, you know, I don't know what the answer is, you know, to mayor, the mayor's point is people smarter than me that, that might figure that out. But, uh, you know, it's probably been a campaign or two ago that we, you know, sort of ran that last campaign and there was social media, but it wasn't kind of the machine that it is now. And I'm not sure how you bring yeah. that. You, you know, yeah, one, I of the big fears that I, one of the big fears I have, um, Kevin, just to address a point that you had raised before somewhat, and Dave, maybe you've thought about this, is that, you know, a lot of, a lot of good qualified individuals who should be um, seeking political office just don't bother. Mm-hmm. And the, the climate is such that successful people in whatever walk of life look at the landscape and say, why would I bother? Why would I put myself into that mess? Yeah. So that you know, when, 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 you, when anybody says that they, they appreciate those who put their name on the ballot, that, that's great. Um, we, need more, we need more well-qualified people, in my view, to put their names on the ballot. They need to, they, they need to I think, take on that responsibility, um, the civic responsibility, because we do have responsibility um, in our society. Th- those that have the ability should be taking on that responsibility. So, you know, you, you, you look at families that have a tradition of public service. Um, we need a lot of people to grasp onto that um, particular responsibility. And, you know, maybe, maybe the things that children are taught in school aren't adequate. You know, you can get a lot of these things through your family, but if you don't get it through your family, you know, where are you going to get it? You're not going to get it. And so, I don't know what the answer is. And as long as social media is out there and people pay attention to it, I guess maybe that's the answer. Just don't pay attention to it. Um, I, I, I can, enough people raise issues with me and the methods that I'm using that I don't need to be whacked about what somebody says on social media. So uh, people need to take that approach. But um, that is, a, to me, that's a concern as well. That's as, that's as big a concern about what the system is and how people get elected. It's who's running for office. And when you, you know, the older I get, the more I've seen, the more I've experienced, maybe the more I become like um, Dave, I become more cynical about what's going on. And I, and I, you know, I look at the leaders and I look at elected officials and I think, good Lord, is that the best we can do? <laughs> and, and, you know, that's, maybe that's a little unfair because people are working hard to get to where they are, but you know, we've got 338 elected officials at the federal level. And, um, 
Some of them are crackerjack. They're, they're the best that they could be and the best that we could expect. And then there are some that, you know, not so much. Mm-hmm. And even when you look at um, the ethics of some of the people who were elected, in particular, the guy in Toronto. Well, really? Is that, is that what we were expected to be harnessed with? So I'd be more concerned. I'm a, I'm a bit more concerned about that than I am about the first pass, the post. I mean, that, that, that's never going to change until the public decides it's going to change. And so we're going to vote for the party that says they're going to change this, and we believe that they will do that. And if it's not one of the two main parties, um, it's not going to happen. You're, you're quite right. There are too many, <clears throat> you know, there's too many... Um, reasons why people will not en masse move to, um, to one of the other parties. You know, it's, it's unfortunate that, um, that um, Leighton passed away when he did. Um, there might've been some momentum there for a third party, but um, you know, barring that, uh, I don't see, I, don't see, I guess I'm a little concerned. Yeah. This has been such a great conversation. I, 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 we, we have to start wrapping it up. We need to have you all back because there are so many different directions I want to take this conversation in. Um, before we go, uh, one last question, um, just quickly. So we had a record number of Canadians this past um, federal election, uh, 850,000 of them vote by mail. Way of the future? Thoughts on that? Quickly? Anyone? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump not? in first. So I just recently published the Ontario Municipal Democracy Index, where we compared uh, the 32 largest municipalities in Ontario based on a whole bunch of different measures to gauge their democratic health. And one of the measures was, how many ways do you offer people to vote? Mm-hmm. And we didn't give different points to different kinds. We didn't say this kind is better than, the, than this kind, but it's all about choice. So if you get a bill in the mail, Dolores, you can pay it online, by phone, you can mail it in, you can go to the bank. And I think elections should be the same. We found only one municipality in Ontario of those 32 that offered three ways to vote. It was Thunder Bay. You can vote by phone, you can vote um, um, online, or you can vote with a piece of paper at the ballot box. And sure enough, the highest voter turnout of all of them was Thunder Bay. They were the only one that cracked 50%. So to me, it's not about whether you can mail in or not. It's about, do you have choice? Right. Um, I think we should offer as many choices as possible. The only thing it'll do is increase participation. Good point. Great. Jeff, wow. What I a- agree. You can vote online as well. I mean, I, I would think you could vote online as long as you've got the security. Right. Yeah. More choice is good. More yeah. choice is good. It's unanimous. <laughs> Very <laughs> profound statement, I know. <laughs> Jeff, wow, what a great conversation this morning, huh? Yes, very good. And thank you so much to the three of you for a fantastic conversation. Uh, Dolores, what do we have planned for next week? Well, Jeff, <laughs> next week we're going to have a conversation about the uh, land borders, what the reopening looks like, what travelers can expect, and what our U- U.S. colleagues are experiencing Joining us for the conversation will be our good friends, Corey Schuler, Executive Director of the Niagara USA Chamber, and Craig Turner, President of both the World Trade Center, Buffalo, Niagara, and Momentum. 
to all of our listeners, send us the topics that you're talking about because we want to talk about them too. Thanks again for tuning in and have yourselves a great week. Thank Thank you, everyone.